And as you'll hear in a minute, actually, it's not going to be a lot of my words. I've got a few words to say this morning, but also I've invited Lynn, who is going to come and share some of her story too, but more about that in a moment. So we have um, started a new series as part of the church um, kind of diet, if you like, and this series is called Teach Us to Pray. And Teach Us to Pray is a phrase that Jesus' first disciples, his first followers, asked him about. If you were here last week, you'll know that we read from Luke chapter 11, from verses 1 to 4, and it should come up on the screen. Thank you, Becky, that's great. Where it says that one day Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, forgive our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. And as we said last week, you know, the, we, we prayed the Lord's Prayer together um, at the beginning of the service. And there's a bit at the end, isn't it? You know, it is, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil for the kingdom and the power and the glory are yours. And that bit at the end was added on in about AD 90. So after Jesus had died and risen again, but the early church fathers kind of put that in as a, an ending to the prayer because it reflected a lot of the prayers that they were also praying at the time. And as a church family, we've got the same kind of request of God. We're saying, Lord, would you teach us to pray? Because as we said last week, prayer is something that should be as natural to us as breathing, but sometimes we can find it challenging or we can find it tricky. And so what we're doing is in our small groups, which we call life groups each week, we're following through um, a course called the Prayer Course, which has been produced by Pete Gregg from 24-7. We had our first week on it this week, and I've caught up with various different people who've been to different groups who said how helpful it was. Um, got some good discussions going, um, you know, had some great opportunities to talk and to learn and to pray. And then on Sundays, what we're going to be doing um, is we're going to be taking a line of the Lord's Prayer each week and thinking about the themes around it. Um, if you're joining us now, you're so welcome. Come and take a seat over here. It's, it's awkward, isn't it? I'm sorry. We've moved things around today. So usually you'd be able to slide in. If you had trouble getting here in the morning, you'd be able to just slip in when we were singing. So it's a bit more exposed today. But please come and be welcome with us. You're, it's so good to have you here this morning. And so today, as we think about the first sentence of the Lord's Prayer, we're saying, Lord teach us to pray. And the first sentence is, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And as I was just reflecting on that this week, I think that's a really interesting way to start, isn't it? You know, some people call this prayer the Our Father. And when we think about God as our Father, what we're saying is we're saying, God, you are the one who provides for us. You are the giver of life. You're our protector. You're the one who's always there for us. That's what a good father does. And yet the next bit of the sentence, hallowed be your name. Well, hallowed is kind of an old-fashioned word for holy or revered or honoured or, wow, we hold you in such awe. And so on the one hand, we're saying our father, we're saying dad. And on the other hand, we're saying you are holy and awesome. And as followers of God, as followers of Jesus, what a place to be where we can know God so intimately and personally and yet remembering that place of awe and respect. And today, as we were thinking about our father, I was just kind of wondering what to share. And um, I remembered a bit of Lynn's personal testimony, a bit of her story. And she, I've invited her to come and share that with us today. She has a really powerful and really personal story about her life and about how God has completely changed her around. And the reason that she's coming to share it today is because she's come to know God as her father in a way that I think will resonate and speak to many of us. 
You know, it might be that as she shares her story today, that you find that you have been in some similar situations. Or it might be that you are praying for or supporting or encouraging somebody who is in that place. And wherever we're from, I feel that what Lynn has to share for us today about how God came into her life, how he has rescued and saved her and put her in a different place is going to be really powerful for each of us. Now, Lynn's going to be sharing some deeply personal things, and I'm sure that you're going to really appreciate and value the gift of her vulnerability towards us. And when we talk about personal things with one another, and especially in front of a, a big group, it can really cost us. And so I hope that you'll just kind of receive the gift of her vulnerability well today. Those of you who know Graham and Lynn, they're, they're worship leaders here. They're part of our, very much love part of our church family. And um, will know that they have four little girls. And at the moment, the ages of their kids are such that Lynn hasn't been able to share as fully with the children, hasn't told them the details of what she's going to be sharing with us today. She wants to, but obviously you'll understand that needs to be at the right time for them. And so, because some of what she's going to say is sensitive, I just ask that you would respect and honour that, that you wouldn't share what she says on social media. And certainly, if you've got kids in the church family, you don't talk about that over lunch today so that they would hear things before it's appropriate for um, Graham and Lynn's own kids to hear what's going on. Is that okay? So, with that little kind of beginning, Lynn, come up and join me. We're doing a bit of an interview style today. So we kind of did a little bit of chat and a little preparation beforehand. In fact, can you see us? And Amy very kindly pray for me, but why don't we pray for Lynn as well? Yeah. So, Father, we would just want to thank you for the incredible story of hope and life and transformation that um, Lynn exemplifies. And we ask now that you would give her the right words to say, that you'd show her what's appropriate to share and maybe what not to say today. That you'd come in power and that you would be glorified as we hear about how amazing you are and all that you've done. Amen. Great. So, Lynn, let's get going. Why don't you tell us a bit about your kind of background and your early life? Um, yeah, just before I start quickly, um, I, I was this week I was thinking, how little God can I say about my life in this in in today? Because I've had so many years of shame that I've carried, and I just felt like God was saying, no, no, you need to say it, you need to share it because um, there's going to be people here who can identify with it. Um, so today is the day. Um, but yeah, um, I'd say my early years were quite complex. Um, on the outside, uh, I'd say my family looked like it was, a, it was normal, you know, and, um, but deep down there was a lot of dysfunction going on in my family. Um, sorry, I'm just going to keep these notes here. Um, I grew up in an environment where there was an, a lot of anger. Um, my dad was always very, very angry, um, would lash out. There was a lot of physical violence. Um, my mum was quite passive, and so all of this she just allowed to happen to us, where it was like accidental things that would um, cause him to be, you know, to, 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 um, just to, be violent towards us um, and I think um, as a child it was really difficult to understand why you're making your dad angry because he was just always angry and always um, violent and so um, you learn that you're bad that you must be the you must be the problem um, and then on the other side of the coin my mum was due to her own parenting she was unable to prioritize us so um, and our needs so there was a lot of a neglect and 
um, emotional and physical neglect. Um, we would often be left places, um, just forgotten about, even as a baby in a, in a cot, my mum would leave me and go out and I would be crying. And, um, and so kind of the, the pattern of my life was really being a bad person and being forgotten about. And I grew up really feeling like sense of, I think from, from, from very young, just self-loathe and just feeling worthless and just, uh, just struggling with that became a real battle. Um, and just abandonment. I felt a huge sense of abandonment. Me, me and my siblings, we, we were very um, uh, solid together because we were each other's protectors, but um, there was a huge sense of abandonment as we were growing up. Um, my view of God back then, I believed in God. I didn't like him. Um, I didn't think he liked me. <laughs> um, it was, um, I saw him as like as a policeman in the sky with a baton waiting for me to make one wrong move so he could, um, yeah, he could have it out with us. Um, so I didn't really, I didn't warm to God um, um, at all in any way. And I think when we spoke earlier in the week, you said that one of the things that you really felt was that um, you were on your own and there was just nobody coming for you. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was a feeling of be. All I can say, it was abandonment. It was just a feeling of of you're on your own. You've got your siblings. You're on your own, and it was going through life feeling like you were never of any importance to your parents. And um, and for it, you know, I, I I don't blame them. I forgive them completely. Um, and there's been a walk of forgiveness, um, and God's restored that. Um, and it, you know just because I know it's been recorded that, you know, I don't feel sense of um, anger towards them or anything. And, yeah, it, they are, in my mind, free. <laughs> um, so that's, that was kind of your early life. So tell us about what happened next, kind of when you became a teenager. So when I became a teenager, I um, by that stage, I was just such a broken, damaged person. Um, I built such a wall, uh, emotional wall, between me and my parents. Um, there was nothing, I wasn't going to give any of myself to them and they weren't, I wasn't going to allow them um, to give anything back to me. And I just decided one day um, that I was emotionally, I was going to make myself, I was going to divorce myself from them because it was just too painful. Um, and so I became an orphan really, a spiritual, emotional orphan um and I um got that was kind of where my troubles began um because at that age you know you, you need a family and by this stage I was uh I had a lot of self-destructive behaviors um because I was carrying so much emotional pain and it was um I had a real battle with eating disorders um from uh the age of about 13 um and it was something that I was using to try and control my, the chaos that was going on in my life at that stage. And it ended up controlling me and it became an addiction for me for probably a good 10, 12 years. Um, it started to control me and I couldn't, um, I became powerless to overcome it. Um, and 
I suffered with a lot of mental health issues at that stage. Um, I got involved with um, a group of people who were just as needy as me and uh, broken. And I just couldn't relate to normal people because it seemed to me that their lives were so on, on track. But I could relate to these people because they were just as broken as me. And, you know, it ended up being like a gang. I got involved in gang and... and um, people who were into criminal, into criminal activities. Um, my life took a turn for the worse in that respect. I, I became, uh, I got into substance misuse and uh, just uh, a lot of their behaviours I had adopted. Um, I was, uh, I had a, I was prolific self-harmer at that time as well. Um, I had depression, clinical depression, um, which I was trying to battle and overcome. Um, and then obviously the addiction that I had, um, which I got taken out of school for. Um, and I suffered with panic attacks. Uh, I thought I was going mad. Um, there was just so, there was so much going on, so much turbulence going on. Um, and the world that I was in, um, it just dragged me down. It was something that, ironically, it was like a comfort blanket being with those people because they understood. But it was like then the violence just transferred from my family to this gang that I was in. And for years, I was probably in it for about eight years. And I became controlled and manipulated by the gang leader who was very much, who was like 20 years our senior, um, had been in and out of prison for violent offences. So it was well known. Um, and um, I just became very controlled. But in the midst of all of this going on, sorry, I'm just having a quick sip of water. In the midst of all of this um, darkness, because my life just went even more downhill from then on, and um, I experienced God um, when I least expected it. Um, you know, I had some traumatic experiences within that world um, I'm not going to go into detail with them apart from one of them um, and there was one occasion where um, I had been assaulted by the gang leader and I was running away from him and he caught up with me again and assaulted me again and this is like in the middle of the night because everything was nocturnal um, and as I'm running again away again for the third time um he had caught up with me again and I was fearful for my life you know um and so I just didn't know what to do and in that moment I just I, it was like a thought just dropped in my head just call on Jesus and so I just said Jesus help me help me and literally and I'm, this is not an exaggeration um but within about 15, 20 seconds of those words leaving my lips. I see in my peripheral vision a police riot van just pour, driving past, pulling up, and then out jump about eight, eight police men and women um, to pull him off me. And for me, that was like God's protection because um, I read in, you know, in Joel, it says, if you call on the name of Jesus, you'll be saved. Um, at that point, I didn't know that, but I'm just saying that now. Um, and there were two other incidents, um, which I won't go into detail, but 
where I was, I was fearful for my life. Um, and God rescued me in those situations. Um, and they were very traumatic experiences, but I know that God was there, even though um, it was a horrible, horrible time. So in that really, really dark place, there were those instances where you knew that God yeah. was after you. And mm. I, I, and this is like I never felt because my parents would never come for me, so I never felt like mm. I could um, rely on any anyone. That was the first time I, I actually realised that prayer worked, wow. um, and that, and that God was there um, in that time. Mm. Um, and so then, kind of, what happened after that? Um, well. What happened after that was I, I mean, this is probably like eight eight years in. Um, I got to a stage where I was so, uh, I was so sick and tired of my life because, um, I just I was you know I, I was clinically depressed, um, and all of this these these distra- I'd gone on self destruct mode. I just wanted, I hated everything. I had such a problem with my who I was. I hated my life. I hated me because I just blamed myself for it from such an early age um, for the violence, the neglect. It's just I, I blamed myself. So I was on self-destruct mode. Um, and there was one friend that I had because by this stage, I didn't have normal friends. They were all underworld, you know. And there was one friend that I had, a school friend. And this person was had been through depression, knew exactly what it was like, um, was the one person who was helping me um, and would meet with me and talk with me and go for breakfast and just general normal stuff. It was like my one link to to normality. And I was so appreciative of that friendship. I really valued it. Um, And it was all I can say, it was like being down a black hole in a dark pit, and there was this one person who was throwing me a lifeline. And anyway, I had I was due to meet my friend this morning, the one one morning, and this person never showed up. And it was later on that I found out that there'd been an awful accident, and my friend had been killed. Um, and for me, it was kind of like. I just entered into despair because it was kind of like, I felt like completely hopeless because it felt like um, there was this one person who I could aspire to be like um, and was stripped away. And I just thought, no one's coming for me now. You know, this is, this is it. And that was the day that I entered into suicidal thoughts. Um, I just felt like there was no way I could pick myself up and get out of the pit that I was in. I just felt like it was just going to be trauma after trauma after trauma. And I had no hope for my life. You know, it was like there was nothing to strive for. Um, so when my friend was killed, I, that, I became suicidal. It was the trauma of losing my friend but, and dealing with the grief of that. But also the grief of my situation that I just felt powerless to... Uh, yeah, to 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 get out of it. So I ended up. I ended up. Um, I was very nocturnal in those days. <laughs> um, I ended up walking in the middle of the night. I just wanted 
I know it sounds funny, but if you're a self-harmer, it's like, which I was, I'm not now. I just wanted somebody to beat me up, weirdly. It was like I was looking for trouble because I just wanted, I wanted somebody to take the emotional pain that I was carrying. And I thought if it was a physical wound, then I would know that that would heal and it would, it would go. And so I was looking for somebody just to hurt me, just to, which is why I went out in the middle of the night. And as I'm walking, I just, just had this sense of calling on God. And I just said, I am so fed up of being this person. I hate everything that I'm doing. I was just like, I hate who I've become. I hate everything I'm doing. All the sin in my life. And just, I just, I just really cried out to God and said, I just want to die. I just want you to take my life. And I just shouted at, you know, shouting at him, take my life. I don't know. I can't rescue myself. I just want to die. And, um, and, and I was just screaming this on the street. I mean, yeah, thankfully it was three o'clock in the morning. But um, as I'm kind of shouting this at the top of my lungs, um, I had this thought in my head and it was suddenly... But I'm big enough to change your life. And it was like an epiphany moment. It was just like a light bulb went on. I thought, if I'm praying to God, he must be big enough to change my life. And I just said to God, I can't be this person anymore. You know, I can't keep doing what I'm doing. All this, I just want, I just want you to change me. If you're not going to change me, let me die. I want to die. And so anyway, this this was a prayer that I, I prayed for probably a good week. I was serious. I'd got rock bottom. I just, there was no way up for me apart from death. That's how I viewed it. There was no way out of this mess that I was in. Um, and so I prayed that prayer and my brother was, had, he had gone through all of this stuff before me and become a Christian. And he, I thank God for my brother because he, he was working in a church. It was a few hours away from where we lived. But he was so... that My, my siblings were really concerned about me. Um, and he, he was really worried. And he said to me, uh, Lynn, I'm going to come and pick you up. Can you come and stay with me? Um, I just... I want to look after you. And I, and I said to him, no, 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 no. I'm fine, I'm fine. I don't want to. I was still in this, this gang mentality of these were my family and... Um, even though every, all of that stuff had happened. And, and so he, um, he said, no, I'm going to come and pick you up. Um, now, I didn't know this, but he had the whole of his church fasting and praying for me. Um, so as I said, I said, okay, but I'm only going to stay. I'm only going to stay for one day. I'm not, I, I want to come back home. I don't want to, I don't want to stay there. Um, so he, he came and picked me up. Um, took me back to this 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 place, and he li- he was a worship leader in this church, and he lived ab- above the church in a flat. Um, and it was literally, it was like um, as soon as I walked into this building, it was, I, I'm, it must have been the presence of God, but stuff started to happen to me. Like as soon as I got in this building, it was, um, it was like I. We still had the addiction, obviously, um, that I was struggling with. 
And as I'm purging myself, about to purge myself, I saw a picture of Jesus in the toilet water. And he was crying. And it freaked me out. I saw it. And it stopped me doing what I was just about to do. Sorry. So that was the first encounter. And then it was one of these churches that had conferences. And that was all new to me. I had no, you know, I hadn't been in a church oh, for such a long time. But walking into this building, they had conferences. And they had lots of people come. And preachers from all over the world were coming and, and preaching. And they had, they happened to be at a time where they had a conference. And so I'm sat in this building my brother's leading worship and there's hundreds and hundreds of people in this place and they're all worshiping and praising God and this is the first time I'd been in a church and I stood at the back and was suddenly just so convicted by actually I probably wouldn't say it was conviction I think it was accusation that I felt um I felt such condemnation um and I was sat at the back of this church watching people praise God, worshipping, speaking in tongues. And the only thing that I could say to myself was, what are you doing here? You know, there's no way God's going to want to know me. And I, there's, no, there's no way God's going to want to touch me. Look what you've been doing. You know, look, look how sinful you are. God's not going to want to touch me with a barge pole. I need to go, and I need to go now. And I couldn't stop hearing these voices in my head. You need to get out of here. You need to go. You're not going to want to. God's not going to want to touch you. He doesn't love you. You're worthless. You're, you know, all of this. Look at these holy people. That was the other thing. Look at all these holy people. So, sorry, this is a really big deal for me. But it's good. So the worship must have lasted about 45 minutes. And when it finished, I was like, phew, thank goodness for that. And I just, I was so on the, you know, on the edge. I nearly had left. And I, I don't know what kept me there, to be quite honest. I'm sat at the back, stood at the back, and this worship finished. And this guy then, this preacher, goes up to preach. This Canadian guy. And he, he, he said, uh, he said, um, before I can start my preach, he said the whole The whole way through the worship, I could hear the voice of God. I can't, he's told me I'm not allowed to preach until I say these words. But he said, there's a girl here, and I can hear the voice of God. Just tell her, just tell her how much I love her.
just went. It was like being pierced with a sword. One sentence from Almighty God. It was the first time I felt someone had, had rescued me, come for me. My, my, all I recollect is I just fell on the ground. It was like being knocked over with, I just, I, I don't know, it was like being steamrolled. And I just dropped. And I wept and wailed on the ground for probably a good, well, my brother said it was an hour and a half. <laughs> but God met me at that point. He spoke specifically. I heard people say, I hear the voice of God. I never heard, I, I didn't think I heard the voice of God. But I heard the voice of God. It was like words in my heart. And he, I'd fallen on the ground and he spoke to me and said to me, all I remember was these hands coming on me and praying for me. But as I'm away, I'm, as I'm on the ground, God said to me, Lynn, I know you're hopeless. Do you want to know what I think of your hopelessness? And it was a question. And in my heart, I responded. And I said, yeah. And I suddenly had, as I responded, I suddenly had these pictures go through in my mind. It was like um, a play. And it was pictures from by biblical stories, um, which I had known about. First one was where the Israelites are running away from Pharaoh's army and the, and the sea separated. And it was like a play. It was like, it wasn't just, it was like a play. That's the best way I could describe it. I saw it all happen. And that one would go. And then another one would come. It was Daniel in the lion's den. God shut the mouths of the lion. And that one would come and go. And then it was the three, uh, the fire, the, the, the three um, servants of the fire, and God protected them in the fire. And that one would come and go. And then it was Jesus turning the water into wine, and that one would come and go. And this whole thing was like enacted out. And as, as it's happening, I'm starting to laugh. And I'm, I, I'm, I'm starting to laugh. I haven't laughed in years, but I'm starting to laugh. And I'm, the one vision would come and go and the next one would come and I'd laugh harder. And you know what? The laughter was just so empowering because it was like kicking the enemy in the head. It was like I'd been a victim for so long. and I was, I was kicking him in the head with my laughter because it was just like releasing myself from this, this, this belief that I was hopeless and that there was no hope for me. And God then said to me, see, that's what I think of your hopelessness, Lynn. There's no such thing as hopelessness. I am the God of hope. That day was when I believed that in my heart, that revelation that God loved me and that he was, he was a God of hope. Now, I ended up staying in this place for a whole week. I had to borrow clothes because God was just touching me and touching me and healing me and touching me. Um, it was amazing. And I went back home after a week after this conference had finished and um, the best bit was seeing the people who knew me before and their faces and they and I met up with two friends both addicts and they were saying to me what has happened to you <laughs> you're happy what's happened to you and I told them and then I had to just 
for, it wasn't I become a Christian and it isn't life rosy. It was like I've become a Christian and now the hard work starts. It was like it cost me so much. I had to turn my back on years and years and years of friendships that were no good for me. And I spent a long time being lonely, a long time on my own. And it was really hard. But what God did was amazing because he was healing me up. And he basically got somebody to pay for me to do a Bible course. And I ended up at the same place where I got touched, ended up on a Bible school for six months. And I got touched and touched and touched. It was years and years of deliverance, years and years of walking through shame and walking through um, forgiveness and renewing my mind because I had such a self-destruct button that I was just, it was so familiar to me. Um, I still battled with the eating disorder, but I knew at the time that I had the encounter with, with God, I knew that I knew everything was going to be okay but I I knew it wasn't going to be easy. Um, And so I did this whole Bible course, and um, that set me up, really. And then I got... What happened after that blew me away. So I had somebody... (laughs) Another conference happened, and a, a prophetic guy had come from Canada, and he was speaking, and... Earlier that day, because I had had trying to get my life back on track, I said, God, I'd really like a word from you today. I don't know what to do with my life. I know I can't go back to my town because it's just bad news for me. I I really like a word from you today. So this conference started, um, and this prophetic guy got up to preach and was preaching. And at the end, he'd said, bearing in mind, there were hundreds and hundreds of people here. I'm like it was a big auditorium. Um, and he said, I have got a word here for somebody called Lynn, Lynette, Linda. Um, um, so I watched all these women <laughs> queue up um, for the, to him, queue up to him. And, um, and I just sat the back and just let it happen you know and he's like no no this isn't for you no, no this isn't for you this isn't for you is there anyone else called Lynn here and and and, the, and and my friend I was sat next to said why are you not going up Lynn your name's Lynn I said well it's not going to be for me is it he said but he's called you up why don't you go up so I went up and he took one look at me and he goes this is for you <laughs> and um do you know what he prophesied into my life that God was going to take me down pathways, firm pathways to a solid future. He prophesied that I knew what love was not and that he was going to give me people in my life who I could really trust. He said he knew what, um, he said he, he, was going to, he, was, he was going to teach me what a good father is, that I can learn to expect from him. And that I can learn to expect good gifts from him. And that happened. And I can honestly say that, you know, it's been a struggle. It's been a big struggle. And I've had to go through a lot of deliverance. 
I had a lot of little friends. <laughs> you know, I had to go through a lot of healing. But God took me out of that place and put me, I just felt like he put me on this, um, this I don't know, just firm pathway is exactly what he said. And there was a season then where I just could expect from God because I had no money. I, had, I was looking for a job. Someone had taken me in. And I just prayed. I said, I, I was such a baby Christian, and I'd read in the Bible, it said in Matthew 7, if you ask, you'll receive for everyone who asks, receives. It didn't say for some people who ask, receive. It said for everyone who asks, receive. And, and I just took it. I took it, innocently took it, and thought that, okay, I'm going to ask God because I need money. I don't have money. Um, I was on, you know, the dole looking for it. And I asked God, I said, I need, I, I, I need some money. And um, I, <laughs> I had money posted through my letterbox in an envelope. I don't know who it was off. People didn't know my situation. I never told anybody. Um, I remember asking God for uh, 50 quid so that I could go and visit my family and have a have a, a break um it was really hard going being on this bible course because it was very you know soul searching um and so i said god please the train fare cost 39.75 i'll never forget that um so i asked god for 50 quid i thought 50 quid 10 pounds of any money um and literally it was that sunday someone came up to me in church and gave me a card with a a check for 40 quid in it. And I was like, and I told them, you've just paid, I've been asking God for money, you just, you've just paid for my train fare. <laughs> and they were really blessed. But I went home and I said, thank you, God, but I didn't ask you for 40 quid. Where's the other tenner? <laughs> I was just, I wasn't ungrateful. I was just like, but I asked you for 50 quid, not 40 quid. Where's the other tenner? And literally, I got down to my, my aunt and uncle's. And as soon as I got off the train, my uncle opens his wallet and says, here's £10 spending money, Lynn. <laughs> so I was like, you know, this stuff really worked. And I was just like, God, it was a season where God was just trying to show me that I can expect from him and, I, and he's dependable and I can rely on him for good things, you know. And then I ended up, God took me on to, took me back to my town after, you know, uh, I was like, I don't want to go back there. But I was forced back for various reasons to go back there. Um, and that was healing in itself because um, I, think, I think God needed to readjust and renew my mind in, in terms of the town that I'd come from and all the life that I'd lived there. And the dark stuff, it was almost like I, I needed to, to get in touch with it. Um, yeah, and, he, and I fell into social work after that. He got me on, I just managed to get on a course that, um, yeah, I just kind of fell into it. The doors opened and I had no experience and I wasn't a qualified social worker. And I ended up getting a job. Um, and you're working with children and families, weren't you? Helping children, and supporting others who've been children, children and children and families. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and then obviously um, years later I met my husband and he was is a massive blessing to me um, 
I'm very blessed with Graham and we have four children. Mm. Um, so yeah, God, God's really redeemed mm. me from the pit. And this is what I just want to say is, that, you know, there's always hope. I think every, there's, there's, there's nothing that's not salvageable by God. There's nothing. Um, and it's been hard, but I am no victim. God has, you know, taken me out of that victimhood, whatever you call it, class it as, and I'm an overcomer. And he has now given me something that is so precious. You know, that time in my life was really hard and painful, but he's changed it into something that's really beautiful because I wouldn't have experienced God in that way that he's a father and that he really does love us and that I came empty empty handed I had nothing to give him I had I was on the ground I had nothing to give him and he took me up and I came empty handed and he has given me back so much and I just I feel such a huge sense of I'm just so grateful um to him for for rescuing me and just salvaging all the lost stuff that all the pain and you know he has repaid me all the years the locusts have eaten you know he's given me back double and that's our god that's our god and in fact there was a picture that you said represents kind of how you felt doesn't there have we got a picture of it i think oh, yeah. um I'm gonna pop that up becky so, so when you felt abandoned, <laughs> yeah, God came and rescued you. That, 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 that is exactly how I felt when I was at the end of myself. And I look at that picture and it fills me with a lot of emotion because that was me. And I just felt like he just scooped me up just like that. You know, and, and, and just loved, loved on me. And I had no, I had not deserved any of it I did not deserve that love I, my life was an offense to God yeah it was an offense I was I was sinful and I was actively living in it but he rescued me just like that like that prodigal son and yeah one of the things I just love about Lynn's story is obviously there have been some dramatic experiences that many of us may not have shared but some of us in the room may well have done but the story is true for all of us isn't it the story is that God is the one who comes to rescue us when we are in the pit, when we are at rock bottom, when we have nowhere else to go. And the truth is that those, any of us who feel like we've got it together or got it sorted, actually against his example, of course we haven't, but we're all effectively in that same place of needing a rescuer. And Jesus is the one who came. Jesus is the one who loves us. He's the one who says, I'm here for you. And then the other thing that I love about Lynn's story, which is very, very real, is that she obviously encountered God's goodness and his grace in some dramatic ways. I mean, that story about the toilet bowl when she was at her lowest, and yet she had that encounter with God. And she had those encounters and the experiences of his grace, but also she had to do the hard work of walking through and making decisions to choose to forgive and to have prayer and counselling and ministry and all those steps that we know that we have to take that it wasn't just an everything sorted in a moment. Um, and so, Lynn, today we just want to thank you for sharing your story and to honour you for the way that you've been vulnerable, but also the way that you have walked out your faith, the way that you have um, been faithful to Jesus over these years. 
because this story is your story and also it's also his story um, and that's a wonderful thing that we can share in so thank you So it's powerful stuff, isn't it? And I thought probably a really appropriate response for this would be for us to share communion together. Because this is where we remember what Jesus has done for each one of us. And today, if you're somebody who is following Jesus, you're so welcome to come and share in the bread and wine. And maybe today you've come as somebody who doesn't know Jesus yet. And this story is one that you resonate with. You might be in this place or it might be that actually you just feel that you're at rock bottom, whatever that looks like in your life. And in this place, you want to say, God, come and help me and meet me. And if that is you today, then you are very welcome to come and share this as a way to encounter God. Come and take some bread and take some wine. I'm just going to read from 1 Corinthians, which is something Paul wrote about um, this, this kind of meal. We sometimes call the Lord's Supper or we sometimes call communion. And in 1 Corinthians 11, it says this. I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, so when he was a point of desperation, the Lord Jesus took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. He gave thanks at that point of stress and not knowing quite what the future was going to look like and anticipating pain and trouble. He took the bread and he broke it in pieces and he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. You know, when we shared communion together before, we said there are five different elements, and perhaps you could pop those up, Becky. As we come towards the bread and the wine, first of all, we examine our hearts. It's an opportunity for us to see if there's anything that's between us and God. If there's anything that we need to say sorry for. Or if there's anything that's between us and other people. The second thing we do is we actually come with thanksgiving. You know, as I've said, Jesus was in this time before he was betrayed. And we can come and give thanksgiving when we're stressed out, when we feel betrayed. Or when things are great. And the bread reminds us of some stories in the Old Testament. It reminds us of the miraculous provision of manna for the Israelites. And it also reminds us of the bread of the presence, which was something that was in the Ark of the Covenant, reminding the Israelites of God's presence with them. And as we share in this meal, we remember that God is here. We also remember what Jesus did for us, that he was betrayed, that he was tortured, that he died on a cross, that he took the punishment for the stuff that we've done. You know, Lynn mentioned, didn't she, that her life was an offence to God. And if we're honest, that's true for all of us as we remember the things that we do that cause him offence. And usually when we eat things, what we eat becomes part of us. But actually, as we share in communion and we eat, we, in a mysterious way, become part of Jesus, that his life becomes real within us. And so we can give thanks. And then as we take the wine, we remember 
the new covenant. We remember the promise, the relationship, the friendship that we have been offered in God. That we can be made new. That we're his, that he's come for us, that he's rescued us. That we belong to him. And then finally, we look forward that with expectation. And it says every time that we eat this bread and drink this cup, we remember that Jesus is coming back. And that's what we do today. So why don't we stand together? I'm going to pray. And I'll just give you some directions about how we're going to take communion today. Father God, wonderful Jesus and precious spirit, thank you for Lynn's story. And thank you that in many ways it's our story too. We are loved by you. We are rescued by you. We're not abandoned. We thank you that you are God who's not far off, but you're the one who comes for us. And as we share this bread and this wine now, we welcome your presence. We know that you're here. And perhaps in this moment you want to say sorry to God for things that you've done that you shouldn't or things that you shouldn't done that you have. And just ask for his forgiveness. And the Bible tells us that when we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all, unri all unrighteousness. He washes us clean. And so, Lord, we also come to the bread and the wine, thankfully. We remember what Jesus did, and we ask that as we take it, you would renew this covenant, renew this friendship with us as we look forward to you coming back again. Amen. So why don't we stay standing? In a moment, the band are going to play, and I'm going to invite you, when you're ready, to come and take communion. So if you're serving today, please come and take the bread and the wine. And we usually, just for ease, have four stations. It's gluten-free down here to my left, your right, and then another one at the front and two at the back. And when you're ready, if you go and break off some bread and dip it into the, the juice and celebrate God's goodness and the fact that he has come for you, that he loves you and he rescues you.